Chapter Twenty Seven of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. April's Lady by Margaret Wolfe Hungerford. Chapter Twenty Seven since thou art not as these are go thy ways thou hast no part in all my nights and days lie still sleep on be glad as such things be thou couldst not watch with me luncheon had gone off very pleasantly joyce persuaded by lady baltimore had gone down to it feeling a little shy and conscious of a growing headache but everybody had been charmed to her and baltimore in especial had been very careful in his manner of treating her saying little nice things to her and insisting on her sitting next to him a seat hitherto lady swansdon's own the latter had taken this so perfectly that one night being pardoned for thinking it had been arranged beforehand between her and her host at all events lady swansdown was very sympathetic and indeed everybody seemed bent on treating her as a heroine of the highest order joyce herself felt dull nevertheless words did not seem to come easily to her she was tired she thought and of course she was having spent a sleepless night one little manner gave her cause for thankfulness dysart was absent from luncheon he had gone on a long walking expedition lady baltimore said that would prevent his returning home until dinner hour until quite eight o'clock joyce told herself she was glad of this though why she did not tell herself at all events the news left her very silent but her silence was not noticed it could not be indeed so great and so animated was the flow of beauclerc's eloquence without addressing anybody in particular he seemed to address everybody he kept the whole table alive he treated yesterday's adventure as a tremendously amusing affair and invited everyone to look upon it as he did he insisted on describing miss kavanagh and himself in the same light as he described them earlier to his sister as the modern babes in the wood mrs colney being the robin he made several of the people who had dropped in to luncheon roar with laughter over his description of that excellent innkeeper her sayings her appearance her stern notions of morality that induced her to bring them home personally conducted the size of her waist and her heart and many other things he was extremely funny the fact that his sister smiled only when she felt she must to avoid comment and that his host refused to smile at all and that miss kavanagh was evidently on thorns all the time did not for an instant damp his overflowing spirits it is now seven o'clock miss kavanagh on her way upstairs to dress for dinner 
suddenly remembering that there is a book in the library left by her early in the afternoon on the central table turns aside to fetch it she forgets however what she has come for when having entered the room she sees dysart standing before the fire staring apparently at nothing to her chagrin she is conscious that the unmistakable start she has made on seeing him is known to him i didn't know you had returned says she awkwardly yet made a courageous effort to appear as natural as usual no i knew you had returned says he slowly it is very late to say good morning says she with a poor little attempt at a laugh but still advancing towards him and holding out her hand too late replied he ignoring the hand joyce as if struck by some cruel blow draws back a step or two you are not tired i hope asked dysart courteously oh no she feels stifled choked a desire to get to the door and escape lose sight of him forever is the one strong longing that possesses her but to move requires strength and she feels that her limbs are trembling beneath her it was a long drive however and the storm was severe i fear you must have suffered in some way i have not suffered says she in a dull emotionless way indeed she hardly knows what she says a repetition of his own words seems the easiest thing to bar so she adopts it no there is a considerable pause then no it is true it is i only who have suffered says dysart with an uncontrollable abandonment to the misery that is destroying him i alone you mean something says joyce it is by a terrible effort that she speaks she feels thoroughly unnerved unstrung conscious that the nervous shaking of her hands will betray her she clasps them behind her tightly you mean something just now when you refused to take my hand but what what you said it was too late replies he and i agreed with you that was not it says she feverishly there was more much more tell me passionately what you meant why you would not touch me why am i to understand that from henceforth you are free from the persecution of my love says dysart deliberately i was mad ever to hope that you would care for me still i did hope that has been my undoing but now well demands she faintly her whole being seems stunned something of all this she had anticipated but the reality is far worse than any anticipation has been she has seen him in her thoughts angry indignant miserable but that he should thus coldly set her aside bid her an everlasting adieu be able to make up his mind deliberately to forget her this had never occurred to her as being even probable now you are to understand that the idiotic farce played between us two the day before yesterday is at an end 
the curtain is down it is over it was a failure neither you nor i nor the public will ever hear of it again is this because i did not come home last evening in the rain and storm some small spark of courage has come back to her now she lifts her head and looks at him oh be honest with me here in our last hour together cries he vehemently you have cheated me all through be true to yourself for once why pretend it is my fault that we part yesterday i implored you not to go for that drive with him and yet you went what was i or my love for you in comparison with a few hours drive with that lying scoundrel it was only the drive i thought of says she piteously i there was nothing else indeed and you if raising her hand to her throat as if suffocating if you had not spoken so roughly so pshaw says dysart turning from her as if disgusted to him in his present furious mood her grief her fear her shrinkings are all so many movements in the game of coquette at which she is a past mistress will you think me a fool to the end says he see here turning his angry eyes to hers i don't care what you say i know you now too late indeed but still i know you to the very core of your heart you are one mass of deceit a little spasm crosses her face she leans back heavily against the table behind her oh no no she says in a voice so low as to be almost unheard you will deny of course says he mercilessly you will even have me believe that you regret the past but you and such as you never regret man is your prey so many scalps to your belt is all you think about why with an accent of passion what am i to you just the filling up of so many hours amusement no more do you think all my eloquence would have any chance against one of his cursed words i might kneel at your feet from morning until night and still i should to be you a thing of naught in comparison with him she holds out her hands to him in a little dumb fashion her tongue seems frozen but he repulses this last attempt at reconciliation it is no good none i have no belief in you left so you can no longer cajole me i know that i am nothing to you nothing if drawing a deep breath through his closed teeth if a thousand years were to go by i should still be nothing to you if he were near i give it up the battle was too strong for me i am defeated lost ruined you have so arranged it says she in a low tone singularly clear the violence of his agitation has subdued hers and rendered her comparatively calm you must permit me to contradict you the arrangement is all your own was it so great a crime to stay last night at falling 
there is no crime anywhere that you should have made a decision between two men is not a crime no i acknowledge i made a decision but when did you make it last evening and i thought you oh no excuses says he with a frown do you think i desire them he hesitates for a minute or so and now turns to her abruptly are you engaged to him finally no no in accents suggested a surprise so intense as to almost enlarge into disbelief you refused him then no says she again her heart seems to die within her oh the sense of shame that overpowers her a sudden wild terrible hatred of beauclerk takes her into possession why why had he not given her the choice of saying yes instead of no to that last searching question you mean that he he stops dead short as if not knowing how to proceed then suddenly his wrath breaks forth and for that scoundrel that fellow without a heart you have sacrificed the best of you your own heart for him whose word is as light as his oath you have flung behind you a love that would have surrounded you to your dying day good heavens what are women made of but he sobers himself at once as if smitten by some sharp remembrance and pale with shame and remorse looks at her of course says he it is only one heartbroken as i am who would have dared thus to address you and it is plain to me now that there are reasons why he should not have spoken before this for one thing you were alone with him for another you are tired exhausted no doubt to-morrow he how dare you says she in a voice that startles him a very low voice but vibrating with outraged pride how dare you thus insult me you seem to think to think that because last night he and i were kept from our home by the storm she pauses that old first odd sensation of choking now again oppresses her she lays her hand upon the back of a chair near her and presses heavily upon it you think i have disgraced myself says she the words coming in a little gasp from her parched lips that is why you speak of things being at an end between us oh you wrong me there says the young man who has grown ghastly whatever i may have said i you mean it says she she draws herself up to the full height of her young slender figure and turning abruptly moves toward the door as she reaches it she looks back at him you are a coward she says in a low distinct tone alive with scorn a coward end of chapter 27 recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver bc